Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneider-Weiler, and for this episode, I've been speaking with Lawrence Stewart, the head of recruitment and development at Monaco. He told me about his role, his relationship with sporting director Paul Mitchell, and the club's ambitions for the future. Lawrence, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here and uh, excited to have a, a nice conversation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this as well. You know, I know that Monaco has recently built a 55 million pound new training ground. Are you at that new training ground? I'm on the complex. So actually the the new performance center is on the the same site as the as the current uh, the current one and actually I think today is is quite a landmark uh, day for the project. I believe the building is is technically being handed over to the football club. So it's not fully opened yet. There's still a lot of work to be done to to finish it off to get the the high uh, high performance finish that we're looking for, but we're getting closer. In the summer, we should move into the new centre and it'll be very, very exciting for everybody. Um, I don't know if you've been to the training ground, but location is is fantastic and um, we're really, really excited by how it can help us move move forward with, with the, the club. Can you kind of describe it a little bit? You know, 55 million pounds is a lot to put into a training ground, so it must be nice. Yeah, so we've got the the space for three and a three and a half pitches. So um, they're going to be be structured. We're actually it's built into the rock here. So um, yeah, it is a, a fascinating location. And then the actual building itself will be spread over uh, five floors. So other people will be locating here as well. We'll have a small pitch that can be used um, for the second team games on occasions as well. And um, yeah, a very uh, modern, high-tech uh, building with all of the requirements that we need now, whether that is for uh, medical recovery, you know, nutrition areas, sleep areas, everything will be taken care of. Now, we have a lot of really interesting topics to discuss um, on about Monaco and kind of your personal journey, but I'm just curious, you have some interesting uh, pictures uh, on the wall behind you. One looks like an iceberg and um, I can't really see the other bits, but uh, can you can you describe what's behind you? Oh yeah, yeah, they're just a couple. Yeah, I think the iceberg's quite a classic classic picture that that's quite well known. The other one is is a comment around context, which is something I'm I'm sure I'll reference uh, more than once today because it's a big principle in how we work. Yeah, and the other one I saw recently actually online. The most dangerous phrase in the language is we've always done it this way. So try to keep a few uh, core principles close as as reminders. Oh, fantastic. You said the one that you'll probably reference later. What does that one say The about context? context? Context, yeah. We must ground our work in a rich understanding of the context of use or else we run the risk of creating well-meaning rubbish. So um, quite an interesting comment. Okay, yeah, th- those all seem to kind of align together and I'm sure we'll get into those you know, as the episode kind of goes on. You came to Monaco last summer from Red Bull, where you were the head of scouting for their entire network of clubs. You know, why did you want to leave that situation and come to Monaco? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I had a fantastic experience at Red Bull, Um, you know, moved to to live and work in a different country, which was a a great opportunity and great challenge and work in an organisation that quite rightly is is very well respected within within football. so yeah, it wasn't uh, within the plan to to, to leave and, and leave uh, when I did. It was really circumstance based. So other other movements happened, and, and Paul Mitchell 
decided that for him he wanted to to take up this challenge at Monaco as the as the sporting director and he wanted me to um to go and work with him so we'd had a very good working relationship in our time at Red Bull it was the first time we'd worked together but he wanted that to continue and it was a, it was the same for myself so the excitement around the opportunity to come to quite a historic football club like this which has had a lot of uh successes in the past and and sort of start a new a new project and and have an impact there aligned with the continuation of those working processes with somebody where I think we have a lot of similarity in, in how we like to work and and a lot of challenge in how we like to work as well, which is which is good, healthy challenge, um, was something that that made it the the right opportunity for me. You mentioned Paul Mitchell, you know, who is the sporting director at Monaco. You know, what's it like working with him? You've worked with him now for a number of years. Yeah, for my personal development, I think it's been it's been a fantastic experience. You know, it's someone I think Paul. I barely knew him actually before we first worked together at Red Bull. We we'd not actually we'd not actually met, despite working in similar obviously in similar line of work, um, but we'd not come across each other. So yeah, when when he approached me, it was obviously a big decision to make, and it was a commitment around working with somebody um, as well as just working with the organisation. So I took that step, and uh, very happy to have done so because I think he's somebody that has had a lot of uh, continued success now at, at different clubs and different organisations with the way that he works and the way that he operates. Uh, and I'm taking the opportunity to to learn from that and and hopefully help him along the way as well. You said that you've learned a lot from him. Can you give us an example uh, of something that he's maybe yeah, taught I, you or I think, showed you? Yeah, I think the way that that Paul operates is is very clear. He's very got a very direct style. You always know exactly what he's looking for. He he does challenge a lot in a positive way because I think. Certainly, if we look at recruitment, which has been a large part of his work um, previously, obviously now his sporting director role the last years is is more diverse than just recruitment. And, and Paul's certainly a, a sporting director that works across multiple areas of the football operation, not just recruitment, but that he's had a lot of success in that. So for me to be able to look at how he sees certain situations, how he's seen um, certain decisions, whether it be on on building a squad, whether it be on looking to recruit a player, you know, perhaps release a player in certain situations, they're all things that I can take from him. He's had a lot of, I think, consistency in the way that he's operated. That's worked for him very well. And it's been excellent for me to be able to to challenge that and to be able to take those learnings and some of those principles and, and build them into my own work. Obviously, Red Bull was kind of the brainchild of Ralph Ragnick, and he oversaw all the operations there. Is Paul similar to Ralph, or do they sh- share any similarities, or maybe how are they different if they're not similar? Yeah, Ralph was... Um, I had a great time working with Ralph. Um, of course, that was also one of the exciting opportunities. As you say, he was leading essentially the the, the Red Bull strategy with with the football clubs. So he, I think, the one thing that Ralph had um, was a very clear philosophy of how he wanted the football club to to operate um, on the pitch in terms of its, its playing style and its playing principles, and then also off the pitch in terms of recruitment, in terms of development, and so he was completely crystal clear in his mind on what those principles were and that allowed him to to make decisions that 
would benefit the organization to be able to make fast decisions, to be able to, to work quickly in the market. And I think Paul has a lot of those similarities. And I, I think I think they crossed over at times on uh, recruitment of players. I think particularly Sadio Mane, I think, transferred between their two clubs. And, and then there was, of course, then discussions between themselves they got to know each other and I think there are a lot of similar similar principles um, you know very direct clear ideas clear principles detailed in the work and always looking to move forward not standing still so I think both of them share those characteristics you said that you didn't really know Paul before you came to Red Bull uh, what was that conversation like when he tried to convince you to come to Red Bull yeah well we'd, we'd not spoken to each other before um i think some some people had had said it would be worth a conversation so for me i was i was working at everton at the time and i was very committed to to steve walsh i'd gone to work with steve at everton and, and we had a good working relationship as well so um i was quite stable and settled at that point so the conversation initially finished quite quickly because i didn't apart from the idea of of red bull being um an exciting opportunity. It, it wasn't something that I'd been thinking about or planning. So then the conversation really became about uh, being part of um, a strategy that the organisation worked towards, how that was um, innovative and, and exciting within football and then the opportunity to really uh, grow and, and develop and push yourself outside of your comfort zone and work in a different country, speaking it where they speak a different language uh, and really take that on. And through doing that, you can uh, learn, develop and, and put yourself in a position um, that not everybody gets the opportunity to, to go and experience these things. So that was really the, the main parts of the conversation that I can remember. Describe kind of the, the team that you've built there, because it seems almost like a dream team of, of staff that uh, Paul has built. James Bunce is at head of performance. There's been some other notable staff hires like Aaron Briggs, you know, who does some technical analysis. Tyler Heaps came over uh, from the United States for, uh, where he's now the head of sporting technology and insights at your club. Yeah, I think there's there's been an opportunity to, um, to, to bring new people into the organization, whether that be through um, uh, people that left, you know, as happens during regime change or, or new hires, new recruits, new positions such as such as that of, of Tyler that you referenced. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's important to stress that it's really within these recruitment processes about the best person for the job. And it's that can be any nationality. So within within the departments that I am responsible for. We've also hired a, a French uh, chief scout. We've hired a Portuguese uh, performance analyst to support the department. So th there's been um, uh, a large number of hires. There have been, uh, yeah, one or two uh, English uh, members of staff as well, but that's been purely on their, their merits as practitioners. And I know within recruitment for myself and then within the wider um, organisation for Paul, it's about trying to surround yourself with the best expertise and knowledge. So hopefully that's what we've we've been trying to do. It seems like Monaco has, at least for the moment, decided to invest more of its money, not on players as much, although they're obviously investing in players as well, but really on kind of the behind the scenes work. You mentioned the training ground, you know, 55 million pounds. And then, you know, all of uh, the staff that you mentioned, you know, they came from quite prominent positions. So it really seems like it's a concerted effort to kind of build the infrastructure and build the behind the scenes work at the club. Yeah, I, I think the two, two fit quite well, really, almost hand in hand that 
you want to move into the alignment of moving into a new performance center with a high performance staff. I think that's the that's the idea. And you need them both. You can't move into a, a new facility and everything will just deliver high performance. That's also not how it works. So the first step has been to uh, invest in people um, to be able to come in, um, develop improve you can always improve everything in terms of standards in terms of processes and then that will help a smooth transition into a new building where then there are more resources and tools and the environment is 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 better for that high performance but it does begin i think first and foremost with with the people i want to talk about the philosophy of the club you know your vice president oleg petrov said that that he liked the Red Bull model of success. And obviously we talked about how you and Paul Mitchell previously worked at Red Bull. You know, are you trying to emulate that model at Monaco? And if, and if not, like, you know, how is it a little bit different? I think there's similarities of, of principles as referenced there for, for Oleg. I think that was definitely something which, which played a part in his search for sporting director and then other um, other key hires at the club so uh, there are some similar principles and I think when we talked before about similarities between Paul Mitchell and Ralph Rangnick some of those recruitment principles and profiles and development of players um, they were also aligned so I think for for Paul that's something he's been doing uh, previously at Tottenham at Southampton a lot of similar similar trends so I think they're what what Oleg tapped into and yeah I think there's a lot of respect for for Red Bull in the football world in terms of that clear strategy, the lack of probably deviation from that strategy, uh, especially under under stress that can quite easily happen um, within football. And then this idea of of intelligence and, and, and research behind, behind your work. So I think that would be the key elements that we want to bring. So we want to build a, a team, a football team that, gives opportunities to young talents. Um, we want the team to be back in European competition where it has been previously. That's important for, for the club. It's also important for the growth of players. And we want to do that based on certain playing principles and on certain strategic development. So we want to develop players through our academy. There's a rich history of players. In my short time here, I've been watching as much as possible the, the youth and academy games. And you can see that there's a, a very rich supply line of, of talent. And if we can get to a place where we can develop that, then that will allow Monaco to become a, a sustainable football club and a sustainable organisation. So we can develop internal talent, we can recruit and, and develop external talent. Um, and if we can do that on a European competition level, then we will we'll put the club in a good position. You said that you have some certain playing principles. What are those playing principles that you're referring to? Yeah, I think the way we're looking at how we want the team to play is is one that is dynamic. Um, there's an athleticism to the team. Um, it plays high-intensity football with and without the ball, so on, on both sides of the game. So I think they would be our core facets. Of course, as a football team, we also want to be a technically skilled team, a protagonist with the ball, because we will face a lot of a lot of matches and a lot of opportunities where we are ball dominant within games. So we have to have players that can deal with those situations, but we want to have a real high tempo, high intensity to our play that we can align with that. We have ownership of the team in Belgium as well, Circle Bruges. So we want to carry some of those principles over um, into that team as well. So there's a similarity of play. 
Do you also scout for uh, Circle Bruges in Belgium? Yeah, my role is one that I um, I support both teams. So um, we support the recruitment in, in Circle Bruges as well. Um, we work with Carlos, the technical director there, and they take their... You know they take their own decisions, um, and but yeah, with recruitment, particularly investments and talents, we we have a we have a relationship and we support and I help them and, and we we aim to recruit and work in the same way. Is there an idea that uh, like Red Bull, this could branch out even more into owning even more clubs? I guess there's always potential for that. It's it's not something that I'm aware of at this point. I think with the two clubs that we do have, we're still very much building that platform and that relationship for that to be successful. I, I think Circle Bruges inside Belgium gives a good opportunity for player development and growth. We see a lot of uh, high-value players coming out of that league, for example. Um, and we want to really um, focus on on how we do that at Circle Bruges. We have a number of players on loan there this season. We have some players that the club has invested. Again, it is the um, second youngest team in Belgium at the moment in terms of on-pitch minutes. So we're moving in the right direction. And again, similar to, to Monaco, we're trying to put those development topics in place. And we need that to be some similarity of concept across both teams. You said that athleticism is something that's, you know, quite important into your playing principles and, you know, into your recruitment. Oleg Petrov, the vice president, he said that that's where football is going. And he said, quote, football is moving to like being an athlete first and being a footballer second. Uh, You know, do you think that's where football is going as well? I can understand the, um, the comments. And I think it, if your profile, if your principle is one that you want your teams to play in that way, then that that is an important factor. There are organisations and teams with different playing styles where it will be um, of less focus, of less importance. Perhaps they value um, technical ability more. Perhaps they value uh, the ability to uh, keep possession, to play football. There's a lot of different ways, and that's what makes football so exciting when you see different clashes of different styles. So is it trending that way? I think there's definitely a trend at, at the moment that a lot of people are following that. I think one thing that that will naturally happen is the game will become quicker in one way or another because we're getting finely tuned athletes. And if, if we look at the growth of most elite sports, they are all increasing in speed, in tempo, collisions and impacts are all increasing um, because of the heightened athleticism of the of the players. So um, I think that's that's the way it, it can be, but there's other ways to, to play football as well. It really depends. When you joined the club uh, last summer, you know, can you describe kind of the state of the club and the situation you walked into? Well, I think it was an interesting period there was all of this COVID lockdown still happening that, that we've all been living for the last 12 months. So again, it was not a normal um, situation. I think the club had, in France, the league had been stopped, whereas in all other leagues it was returning, but the decision had been stopped and, and, and it had not returned and the season hadn't been finished. So there'd been this big period without football, people working from home. Uh, and the club had had two what for the club had been disappointing seasons, uh, the the two seasons before with with ninth place and seventeenth place in the league. So there was a real desire to um, to to improve the the performance of the team. 
And so how did you go about kind of changing the structures of, of the club? I mean, you're, you came from Red Bull, which had a very defined kind of structure. And so how did you kind of try to change the situation uh, when you walked in? Yeah, I mean, for me, my, my main areas uh, of influence are obviously on um, recruitment, so on the scouting department um, and on the performance analysis department. So we had a process there of, of understanding the current processes, the current ways of working, the current individuals and, and where they were at. And then we then went about formulating where does that align with how we want to work? Where does it differ and what, what steps can we take? So, you know, we made some investment in, in certain areas, whether that is some people, you know, some scouts, perhaps working in different locations, uh, perhaps with a different profile, um, a slight increase in, in the performance analysis uh, department, because it's something that we believe in, in terms of supporting the coaching process. And then the tools that we use, investment in data, investment in information, resources, um, to be able to work in the way that we, we want those two departments to operate. So when you go about building like a new system or, you know, a, building a club, you know, not from the bottom up, but nearly, you know, and shape it in your own mold, you know, how do you do that? What are kind of your thought processes? Uh, and, you know, if there were another team that wanted to kind of emulate it, how would you do it? I think the biggest thing would be in understanding the ambitions of the organization and then understanding the underlying principles that you believe will help you deliver that. So, so for Oleg Petrov and Paul Mitchell, that was their discussion with, with the ownership to say, this is the strategy that we want to work towards. This is the ambition that we have for the football club. And then these are our beliefs in how we can deliver against some of those um, objectives. And then we then go around underneath that. So my role sits underneath that then within my remit. How do those principles um, transfer across in, into my areas of work? And how do we make sure that we're working in a way that we can support those and deliver to those principles? So if that is in a certain footballing style, a certain playing style, we need to make sure that our uh, recruitment and analytical processes are collecting the correct measurements to be able to work against that playing style or against those profiles. If we perhaps are looking to uh, reduce the, the age of the playing squad, again, we need to be set up recruitment-wise to be able to deliver profiles that sit within that, that bracket. Same financially, we have to understand the financial mechanisms uh, that the club will have available and, and where it will operate. So, I think the, the underlying principles will be the biggest thing and then how you distribute and push them out into the other departments. I want to talk about your recruitment processes. You signed Krep and Diata from Bruges uh, in the winter window, and that's kind of been your record signing, your major signing so far. You know, Can you kind of walk us through what a recruitment like that would look like? Yeah, I think with, with somebody like Krep, and he was a player that we felt... Um, sat very well within our within our profile of of recruitment and we also thought obviously that the january transfer window very difficult in in world football at the moment we felt that was an opportunity for us to recruit that player it was the the optimum time for us to be able to secure that player because the way we were seeing his development and growth and the prediction for the future he very rapidly may have, have, have progressed out of our uh, financial bracket as well. So we saw that as the prime opportunity. In terms of then going back, well, 
obviously I moved organisations last summer, so so less than 12 months ago. Um, but Crepin is somebody that uh, I had been aware of that that we had been tracking uh, previously as well. So you know, there's a minimum period of work there of of probably two two plus years in terms of that particular player and. We go through a range of different processes, I think, really, from the beginning where there's initial sort of identification stage, players that can can fit inside the, the profile, players of interest, through towards more of a detailed monitoring where we look at that player within different situations to be able to layer the, the context that we need into our assessment more than into a, a detailed analysis of that player, comparisons to current players um, internally or other options externally um, to, and then towards the final stages where we're going into more depth, we're understanding the risk um, and trying to manage that that risk before we make our final decisions. And so where does data fit into that process? Is it at the beginning to filter uh, players or how do you use data to kind of assist you? It comes in throughout the process at, at, at different junctures. So, so we're an organization that um, is using data and, and, and information, I would say as well, because there's different types of data that we can access mm. that every decision we make is based on a large amount of data, a large amount of analysis before we arrive at those um, final decisions. So f- for me in recruitment, we can use it very early stage. You know, we're an organization that, if you look at our recruitment, as you touched on with with Crepin Diata, we also recruited in the summer Caio Henrique, uh, Axel Dizazi, Kevin Voland, uh, Florentino Luis in, in different categories and, and Vito Manoni as a, as a goalkeeper. But the outfield players there, five of those outfield players, Kevin was a, an experienced player that we thought would bring, bring very good leadership um, and performance to the group. And the rest then all sit within that, let's say, younger profile of players that we're looking for that have um, uh, growth and room for development and growth, but enough level of experience and to be able to perform for the team so they can come in and, and, and contribute to the team. So if we want to be a club that wants to recruit those type of profiles, then we have to know about young players essentially as soon as possible. So for me, data is is key in that early identification stage. Who are the young players? Who are the young players playing minutes? Who are the players making debuts? Do we know about them? Um, if we don't, then we need to start doing some work on them. That's one of your fundamentals that if you want to recruit young players, you need to know those guys. So, so data is very important to us in that that stage. It can direct us in certain ways. It can allow us to uh, focus our resources on certain players. We'll do research into clubs that we think um, are good producers of talent in their regions. So again, we can be focused and we know exactly where to look to try to, to be more efficient. And then, of course, then as we go through that process, we're always layering more data into our assessment, whether that is technical profile, tactical profile, physical profile, um, comparison to players, uh, final stages of, of player assessment. So it's common throughout our whole process now, really, data. Do you have like a custom algorithm that you use that's kind of bespoke to uh, Monaco? Yeah, we've got our own um, uh, processes that we use. And, and again, 
it does change from from club to club because we have certain things that we're trying to achieve. So working with Tyler, Tyler's building all of our dashboarding algorithm processes in there. So yeah, we have certain things that 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 we look for that we think are important to us. We build them into our data assessment, and hopefully that can can point us in certain directions. Now, obviously, Tyler came from U.S. Soccer and therefore not from Red Bull. You know, what has he added? to your use of data that maybe you were unfamiliar with before or maybe less experienced with before? I think he's just got this great knowledge of of all the different uh, data and technology that's out there in, in the market. So for us, we want to use the relevant resources for us. So we have to make decisions on one data provider over another, on one perhaps visualization tool over another, one technology over another. So it brings a great level of knowledge into that initial process. And then he lives with data every day. So he's really a guy that can get into the detail and uh, bring his own ideas in terms of perhaps metrics that we could be looking at, combinations of metrics that we could be looking at. I might bring some, other members of, of the staff might bring some of these ideas and he can sort of then start to action some of those and we can challenge it and try to find the correct metrics, algorithms for us that we believe will be consistent over time um, and help us make better decisions. Do you feel like heads of recruitment need to be able to understand data now that it's kind of a prerequisite for the job? I think there's there's many different ways to to do the to do the role. This is my particular way because I have a certain history and, and I've been on a certain um, like personal development. So perhaps I have more exposures to certain uh, principles. You know, data from right back in my performance analysis days. I'm I'm very comfortable with understanding data and. One of the most important things, I think, also understanding the weaknesses within data. So, you know, where are the blind spots so that you don't fall into any traps? Um, but I think people can operate in different ways. There's certain things that um, you, you're stronger in or, or weaker in, and and you can support yourself with with good people who can deliver some of those topics for you. I would say it's probably more about being open-minded to understanding where it can be used and, and how it can be used and perhaps you having a, a big personal experience of data what are data's blind spots yeah i mean we've seen a massive growth so if, if you look over the last years and it's growing all the time where technical data is the most prominent sort of data set that we use but i think there's still certain areas for development particularly um perhaps that doesn't uh, shine so much light on the decision making process of a player so um it, doesn't always inform you on the options of that player. Sometimes, of course, it's, it's more outcome-based. So let's not use that perhaps to look at decision-making. I think certain positions on the pitch, it still lends itself better to in terms of technical profiling than perhaps other positions. Where you have positions where there's an element of um, volume sort of required in one way or another. So if you look at central midfield positions, there's a level of volume required. There's a level of outcome base that you can use. So data can collect that information. There's still this sort of classic uh, discussion topic sometimes around perhaps central defenders where you, you will speak to somebody as a, a well-positioned and intelligent central defender should never have to make a tackle because perhaps they're, they're getting there before a certain time now. How do we manipulate that into our assessment of that player? So some of the positional work we're extending X, Y data is more and more readily available. I think we're going to get closer and closer 
But yeah, still certain topics like that. Goalkeepers, I think, is still very difficult. Central defenders, even for strikers, the different profile of the striker, you get different types of striker. Perhaps you have a, a striker who's a, somebody that wants to run behind the defence. Okay, how how well can certain data sets tell you that? Not always really, really clearly. Um, so you still need to add that that sort of layer of context around. Now there's like still a big debate, you know, in using data versus traditional scouting, you know, how many times do you need to see a player, you know, in person, face to face, you know, before you're, you feel comfortable signing him? Like, you know, is there a certain like kind of threshold you have? I think it's different. We we always try to to cover all of our bases in that respect. So uh, data, video, live scouting, they're just part of the recruitment process. So a player can be found by any of those mechanisms. But for me, then they're in the system and they will go through the exact same processes of scrutiny. So we will look at them the same amount of times on video. We will watch them the same amount of times live. Um, I don't think there's a magic number in terms of uh, seeing a player live. I think there's perhaps some some things that you need to see live to have the comfort required at times to be able to to recruit a player or to be able to say 100% that is the, that is the player for us. So I think there is... For me, still the requirement to go live. And again, that's different for different organisations. I know some uh, will use um, sort of purely video or a huge amount of video. I still like us to to use that element of live scouting. Uh, the same with video. I think, like I said earlier, in terms of weaknesses, the challenge for us and as frustrating, as challenging as COVID has been, if we look at how we want to improve as a as a recruitment department, we can see that we've missed certain things within not being able to attend live. And I think we've also seen, uh, you know, me personally, I'm a big user of video, but perhaps some people within our, our organisation have not been as comfortable scouting on video before. Well, everybody's comfortable now because it's what we've been doing for the last 10 months. But again, how do we uh, make sure that we're using the best resource for the best part of the assessment? So there's certain things that you can't see on video, like I referenced data earlier. There's certain things that are more difficult on video, perhaps because you get a television view. You only see a certain view of the game at any one time. Television camera is moving, so it's moving with the ball. So if you're looking at a certain player in a certain position, he might be off camera and you're not seeing his behaviours, his actions. Is he displaying some of the behaviours that you want in that position? So it might be his recovery runs, his ability to, to get back into a position. It might actually be... He's done a really great action, but the ball's moved on. How is his then interaction with his teammates, his communication with his teammates, his respect to teammates and to officials? and, and So there's a lot of different things going on in the game that I, I think for me, one of our challenges moving forward that we've taken from this, this COVID time is, okay, when we go live, what are the things that we can only collect live? And let's make sure that we absolutely nail them. And when we're on video, which are the things that we're comfortable we can assess well in video and make sure we cover them? Let's not just try and repeat processes across all the different mechanisms. Let's try and piece it together. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned a little while ago the different signings you've made since you've been at the club. And most of them, as you said, were in that kind of age bracket but interestingly, Kevin Volland was not in that age bracket. He's, I believe, 28 years old. And so not under like the age of 23. 
So unlike the Red Bull model, do you envision yourself still signing some older players? Well, I think we do have we have a performance element to to the football club as well. So I think as a reference, we, we want to be back in European competition. So and then we want to be um, competitive within the league to be qualifying for these European competitions. And I think within that, there then is a squad balance effect and impact that you know we want to have a balanced squad. So that will have a large element of young talent because that's our one of our core principles. That will be the, the nucleus of our team. But we want to and have to support that with um, experienced players in, in positions and in, in key times. And it's a great opportunity for the young players to learn from some of those experienced players as well. So that's what we saw with Kevin. He, he represented a player that, that we knew from Germany that we felt had certain characteristics that would bring a lot of value, not just to the team uh, on the pitch, but to to everything off the pitch as well in terms of how he conducts himself, how he operates and how our players can learn from that. So I think we're trying, we're trying to put a balanced squad uh, onto the pitch. You know, I think for our young players to grow and develop, we also, there needs to be a certain stability around the team. And, and some of that does come obviously from experience. And, and so we want to try to get that balance right. One of the last pods we had was with Marijn Bucher at AZ Alkmaar, and he was talking about how they use player profiling um, with their players, and they have noticed over the years now like what personalities match and are, are really beneficial for the club. You know, do you mm-hmm. use that now at at uh, Monaco? We do, and it's it's still one of our biggest areas for for development. So, what does a player represent as a as an individual? What do they represent as a as a teammate? And is that again the the right principles that we we look for? Again, it's a challenge into as I referenced earlier, when we get opportunity to see a player live in full view for 90 minutes, a warm-up uh, period as well what information can we be taking from that that can also form a picture on that uh, individual as a person, on that individual as a character? So can we do that? And then we're exploring now uh, more and more how, okay, everybody knows social media is out there and, and social media profiling, but even within that, can we go deeper to look at the traits of a of an individual in the way that they talk consistently? Perhaps they've done interviews you know, uh, certain pieces to media that are the traits that you can you can get out of that. Um, I think they're all interesting areas and topics for development because unlike other sports, you know, we don't get the opportunity to sit down and interview players and do face-to-face. In football, that's obviously not the way that it operates. So you've always got that element of how will the individual adapt to our environment and, and our building. And again, if we can try to get information to reduce the risk of that, not being successful, then it's what we have to do. It sounds almost like having a psychological analysis through deeper insights and like almost like subliminal or subconscious communication skills, you know, by the players and in these interviews and on social media is almost kind of what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, I think people will be true to themselves over time. So I think you will mm. see their you will see their core sort of traits. I watched not too long ago, the Netflix series Mindhunter. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's no. it's going back and, you know, they're interviewing serial killers in prison, you know, that, that are on death row and, and 
they record everything and they catalogue everything. And then within that, within the way that person speaks or within the way they write and communicate, they're looking for certain characteristics and it gets you thinking as to, okay, we don't get all of those opportunities, but we can be better than than what we have been in terms of understanding that. And some information is, is better than no information with the right context. So are you also using data to you know, profile coaches and, and see how that can help you not just with players, but with staff and, and coaches? Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of profiling players, of course, it makes sense to, to be able to, to profile coaches as well. Profile playing styles and then sort of individual coaching styles. So if we look at the, the principles that we have referenced in terms of how we want our team to play, so we want to be uh, high tempo, we want to be pressing high up the pitch, show an attitude to counter pressing, we want to be dynamic with, with how we move the ball. They're all factors that we can build into our, our analysis. We can create metrics to support those, like we are doing in, in player recruitment, and we can do it in, in coach surveillance as well, because I think predominantly for, for the sporting director, he obviously needs to have a, a global perspective of uh, the coaching landscape as well. If we look at somebody like Nikol Kovac, who, who joined the club, he was somebody that um, we had an understanding of because of experience within Germany. And then again, when we did the, the the profiling of the attributes that his teams showed on the pitch, it fit very well with how we wanted the team to play here. So I think he was a, he was a natural fit for that. And of course, he's doing very well this season. So I'm sure he'll be a coach that other people will want at some stage if he continues to do so well. So naturally, we have to have an understanding of um, perhaps other other teams, other coaches that are showing some of those uh, similar principles. Yeah, well, it, it's the beauty of having a multi-club model in a way is that you can you can put those principles in all your clubs and you can speed up the learning of players um, if they move between the clubs. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website or on Twitter at ground underscore guru.